Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. The Bible has a lot to say about what it means to have success. Listen as we learn about this life-changing word in this series called Secret to Success. Well, good morning, Calvary. Great to see you today. Thanks for taking the time to worship with us. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Proverbs this morning. Uh, We'll begin actually in Proverbs chapter 15, and uh, you can turn there. We're going to be all over the book of Proverbs. We have been in this series now for uh, about six weeks or so, looking at the book of Proverbs and what it says to us. The book of Proverbs is so practical, gives us so much godly wisdom for areas in our lives, and so we've been talking about the secret to success. How do we find success in life. We've talked about wisdom. We've talked about leadership. We've looked at our attitudes. We've talked about our money. We talked about our friendships. Last week, Pastor Bill helped us to see what scripture has to say to us about the fear of God. And we've talked about this idea from so many different angles of success. But how do you, I guess this is, this is why it's such a ambiguous term. How do you quantify success? How do you really say that your life is, your life was, you, you want your life to be a success? Before we go into the book of Proverbs, uh, let's look at a passage of scripture from the book of Ecclesiastes. Now Solomon wrote this as well. He wrote most of the book of Proverbs. He wrote Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 verse 26. Look at what he says to us here. To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. You know, when we talk about success, we talk about it in a lot of different ways. When culture brands it, when people look at success, they think about it from the aspect of how much money you have or how much authority or leadership or power that you have, how much fame is attached to your name. But the bottom line is there are a lot of people who have those different elements of success and what they don't have, what they don't feel in their lives is happiness. They don't feel like their lives have value. They don't feel like their lives have meaning. They don't enjoy their existence. What they lack is happiness. And it says in that verse that we just looked at in Ecclesiastes that God is the one who gives us happiness. And understand this, success is empty without happiness. Success, so many people want it, so many people want to find it, but success is empty without happiness. We see it in that verse, how the sinner does all these things, gathers up wealth, but in the end it says it's meaningless, it's God who gives us happiness. And there are an awful lot of people who have an awful lot of things and an awful lot of fame and an awful lot of power, and what they don't have is happiness. Isn't that true? And what we look for, what we long for is happiness. Now happiness is such a... I don't know, it's just kind of a vague term. We use it to describe an emotion. It's something that we feel. And we allow it to become a gauge for the things that we do or do not want to do in life. When we decide if we want to do something, oftentimes we think, well, will it make me happy? And if I don't feel happy, then it doesn't feel right. If it doesn't make me happy, then I don't want to do that. If that person doesn't make me happy or doesn't make me happy anymore, then why do I want to be with them? I don't want to do it because I don't feel happy. And the idea of happiness in our culture becomes a gauge for whether we do things or not in life. But life's not that simple. If you just think about it, how many of you have days when you're not happy to get out of bed? You know what I'm talking about? Man, that alarm goes off. 
Now some of you are, what's the biblical word? I think it's freaks. Some of you are freaks and you just, you, alarm goes off, you're just like, I'm ready to go. But a lot of people, when you're all kind of snuggled in that bed, like I don't, I'm not happy to get out of here. But you do it because you have to, because if you don't, then life doesn't go on. See, happiness is not the only gauge of why we do the things that we do. And this gets tricky because for some of us, we're not happy. As I talk about this, you say, yeah, you know, my life right now, I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm a happy person. I'm happy with my life. Understand this, so many times we want to gauge our worth, our value, the, the status of our life by how we feel. And the situation you're facing right now, if it doesn't make you happy, understand this, it's not who you are. That situation may be what you're in right now, it may be what you're feeling right now, but that's not who you are. And understand this about happiness. Happiness is not determined by our circumstances. Happiness is what we choose in spite of our circumstances. Happiness is not determined by our circumstances. You really want to be happy? Then happiness is what you choose in spite of your circumstances. And I think this is where it's wise for us to kind of rephrase this a little bit. That we think about this in a little bit of a, of a different way. Because the Bible doesn't necessarily use the word happy as much as it uses the word joy. Joy is more of the biblical concept. <laughs> When we think about this, what culture refers to as happiness is the biblical concept of joy. It's what we find no matter what the situation, it's that, that kind of that emotional state where we say, I am at rest, I'm at peace, I find pleasure in this, I'm able to say I can move forward with this. See, your emotional state is largely a cognitive choice. Oftentimes we think that our emotions just control us or run wild in us or we let them do that, whether we like to admit it or not. But our emotional state is a cognitive choice. We need to choose how we re respond to the situations in our lives. And all throughout scripture there is this theme of joy, of finding joy. And it's in the book of Proverbs as well. And it's largely there and where we see it, here's the underlying current when we see this word joy in the book of Proverbs, that it's a choice that we have to choose joy, that we have to choose to rejoice. We must choose joy to find happiness. We must choose joy, this response to the situations in our lives, if we're gonna find happiness. In fact, you see this in the story in Nehemiah chapter eight when, when the people were being um, read the law and they had kind of disregarded it and they dismissed it and they read the law and their natural response was to grieve because of the things that they had done. And it's interesting what Nehemiah says to them. He says, look, don't grieve in this moment for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You ever heard that verse? There's times when we need to recognize that it's in joy that comes to us from God that we find strength to face the circumstances in our lives. And so today we're gonna look at what Proverbs says about this subject of joy. And we're gonna take some very general principles and we're gonna apply them to some areas in our lives. And I know these things will hit us in different ways, largely because of the state of life that we are in. Man, I walked into the church today and I walked up behind a friend of mine and he was just whistling. He's just whistling away. He's in kind of that moment where he's, he's got some joy in his life. Some of you walked in and I, I could tell your, your lips were puckered up, but it's not because you were whistling. Just kind of had that sour look on your face. <laughs> we're in different stages in our lives. We're in different places. For some of us, every five minutes, it's a different emotion, right? What does scripture say to us about this idea 
of joy. I want to give to you today three choices that lead to joy. Three choices, and we see these choices in the book of Proverbs. I want to look at three choices that if we'll make them in our lives, will lead to joy. And I know that, that some of this, and, and, and stay with me as we go through this, some of this will seem maybe a little bit trite, maybe a little bit too simple for your circumstance. Because I know for some of you, this idea of joy goes a whole lot deeper than just putting a smile on your face. Because you deal with anxiety, or you deal with loss, or you deal with fear, or you deal with some big challenges, or you've got depression that seems to loom over you. And I don't want to minimize any of these things by just stating some trite principles. But stay with us through this today as we talk about these three choices that lead to joy. Here's the first one. Number one, joy comes from choosing cheer. Joy comes from choosing cheer. I use the word cheer here because that's the word that the NIV uses to talk about this idea of laughter or of mirth or this idea of a pleasant expression of happiness. That's what we would define as cheer. You see this several times in the book of Proverbs. The first one is here, Proverbs chapter 15, verse 13. says, a happy heart makes the face cheerful, but heartache crushes the spirit. A happy heart makes the face cheerful. Have you ever noticed that a smile is a powerful thing? A smile has tremendous power, and a happy heart comes out in your face. It makes the face cheerful. A smile is a powerful thing. There are some things that just kind of make us smile. Take a look at the screens. There's certain things that just when we see them, it just has that power. Like if if you just see a picture of a kitten, what does that do to you? Yeah, so many of you are suckers. You just smiled right away. How about, how about a puppy? Aw. How about a baby? Aw. How about a puppy that smiles like a baby? <laughs> and I got to tell you, from where I sit, you look a whole lot better with a smile on your face. A smile is a powerful thing. Get this, and this is proven. Choosing cheer leads to physical benefits. When you choose cheer, when you choose to smile, and look, for some of us, it just comes naturally. For others of us, we got we to remind ourselves, smile, 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 smile. But just at some point, if you choose cheer, sometimes maybe to just get over yourself a little bit or not take yourself so seriously, but just say, I'm going to choose this. When we laugh, it's healthy for us. Laughter relaxes the whole body. A good hearty laugh relieves physical tension and stress, leaving your muscles relaxed for up to 45 minutes after. Isn't that interesting? Laughter boosts your immune system. It decreases stress hormones and increases immune cells and infection-finding antibodies, thus improving your resistance to disease. Laughter triggers the release of endorphins, the body's natural feel-good chemicals that promote an overall sense of well-being and can even temporarily remove or relieve pain. Laughter protects your heart. It improves the function of your blood vessels and increases blood flow, which can help protect you against a heart attack and other cardiovascular problems. It lowers blood pressure. It gives you this general sense of well-being. Laughter is good for your body. Isn't that good to know? That's why God says, look, Put on a happy face, will you? Proverbs 15, 15, two verses later, says this. All the days of the oppressed are wretched, but the cheerful heart has a continual feast. Man, I like the words continual feast, don't you? It's a cheerful heart. Do you know what that means? Choosing cheer leads to satisfaction. 
a continual feast. The cheerful heart, when you, when you smile, when you choose cheer, when you choose to embrace joy instead of whatever your circumstance brings, it helps you to change your perspective so you can see and be satisfied with what you have and where you are. But when I let my circumstances come crashing down on me, I feel crushed and oppressed. The days of the oppressed, that verse said, are wretched. And at some point, it's good for you to say, what can I do that will bring cheer to my life? At some point, it's good for you to ask the question, what do I have to be happy about? So many of us, we go from day to day thinking about what's not right or what's going wrong. What if instead you said, what do I, what do I have to be happy about today? What do I have to be thankful for? Instead of carrying all that negative, what, what if I would hold on to the positive? Proverbs 17.22 says this, a cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. A cheerful heart is good medicine. Isn't that cool? It's healthy for you. Look, choosing cheer leads to healing. Not just physical healing. Proverbs says it's good medicine. It brings life to us. The alternative, it says there, this crushed spirit dries up the bones. And oftentimes, what happens is when we think about our worries, when we think about our problems, when we think about our past, when we're stuck in what's not right in the moment, that brings a burden that's too much for us to bear, and it begins to crush our spirit. It dries up our bones. That idea in scripture of dry bones is one of death and one of lifelessness and one that needs restored. What's the medicine to fix it? Well, that proverb says that it's a cheerful heart, that it's good for you, for your spiritual health, for your emotional health. It's good for you to smile and to laugh. There's a healing power to that. Right now, just look at the person next to you and just give them a big smile. I hope you brush your teeth. Just give them a big smile. Your smile has tremendous power. I, I met somebody new yesterday. You know what they did? They started asking me a bunch of questions. I didn't know why, but they didn't smile. They just kind of looked at me with this puzzled look. So guess what? My response to them, it was interesting for me to step back afterwards. My response to them was guarded. I'm not gonna tell you more than you need to know. You know why? I don't like you. <laughs> I think it would have been a whole lot better if she just smiled. Look, wives, research shows that just simply your smile has tremendous power to encourage and strengthen your husband. You want him to be the leader in your home? Why don't you give him a smile? When you, when you see someone who's not in a place where they are comfortable with, especially if you see somebody who's... who's um, Maybe at church for the first time. You know, sometimes you see, when you're in a new place, you kind of got that look of, I don't know where I am. Man, there's incredible power in a smile. It is good medicine. Sometimes you say, well, I just don't feel like smiling. And maybe that's because you've, you've experienced things in life. The weight of the world, the pressures, the loss, the fear, I don't know what it is, but it brings that pressure on you that's crushing your spirit. Sometimes it's just good for us to force ourselves to smile. Sometimes we just need to, I'm telling you honestly, some of you, it would help you so much to just smile. I remember when I was in kids' church, when I was a little kid, our children's pastor, Pastor Kurt, taught us this song. It went, Jesus takes a frown and he turns it upside down and whoops, there comes a smile. 
Pastor John will be doing a version of that next Sunday morning. It will rock your socks off. It's going to be incredible. But what's funny is, I still think of that dumb song a whole lot of years later. I could sing you every word. Not going to. I could. And there's times when I've looked in the mirror at myself and I'd said, hey, Chad, Jesus takes a frown and he turns, right? Sometimes it's just good for you to smile. Let me give you a little prescription for some medicine. What makes you laugh? Is there something that just, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's a TV show, maybe it's some music, maybe it's a person that you're around, something that just makes you laugh. Look, if that thing is God honoring, then don't be afraid to enjoy it. Sometimes I think we're afraid to laugh, afraid to have fun. Who do you know that needs to laugh? Do you know somebody who, who you could just really help them out if you would help them to smile? Now, we learned a couple weeks ago, right, that a, that a reliable friend is going to understand the state of your heart, and you see where that person is, but there may be someone in your life who one of the greatest gifts you can give to them. I've got people like this in my life. Just being around them makes me laugh. As a result, it makes me better. You know why? Because it's good medicine. Look, if you want to have joy in your life, one of the most basic things that Proverbs says you should do is choose cheer. Sometimes I got to say, Chad, you're way too full of yourself. You need to get over yourself and just laugh a little bit. Look in the mirror and smile. And it's a powerful thing. Number one, if you're going to have joy, I encourage you to choose cheer. Here's the second thing, number two. Joy comes from choosing righteousness. Joy comes from choosing righteousness. In my research in the book of Proverbs, this was the primary message attached to joy. It fascinated me that the number one place where you see joy mentioned in Proverbs is in connection with this idea of righteousness. It says over and over again that those who choose to be righteous, those who choose to be right with God, those who choose to do the right things, those who are right in the way that they live, joy is attached to them over and over again in the book of Proverbs. Here's one example. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 28. The prospect of the righteous is joy, but the hopes of the wicked come to nothing. The prospect of the righteous, what's that mean? Our actions, our values, our goals, the things that we have ahead for us. When they are aimed towards righteousness, there is joy that comes with those things. Here's why, this is what this means. When we align our decisions with God's word, we find joy. When we align our decisions, our choices, the way that we're going to live our lives, when we line those things up with God's word, we find joy. That's the overarching principle that's found here. Why is that? Because if we don't focus on righteousness, we're focusing on something else. Sometimes what we focus on is just what we want. Not necessarily sin, but dismissing what God says might be best for our lives, maybe even in a matter of disobedience to what we know he's spoken to us, or we just chase after things without even offering them up to God, Sometimes that's what we chase after. Sometimes it is just, it's, it's sin. It, it's our own desires. It's things that we know that God wouldn't give his stamp of approval to, but we want to do it anyways. Sometimes it's just the circumstances that we come up against in life. And in those things, we have to choose righteousness. We have to choose to line up with God. Because if I'm just trying to do my own thing, then who is all the pressure on? If I'm trying to do my own thing, then the pressure is on, it's on me. I got to carry that. And when I'm chasing after wicked desires, 
What's, what happens there? Proverbs says here, the hopes of the wicked when I'm chasing after sin, there's always this chance that I might get caught. It has destructive ramifications. And when circumstances are out of control in my life, I can't do anything about that. And what I find is this, if instead I will choose to be righteous, what happens is I find joy. If instead I will choose to do the right thing, to go the right way, to place my my hope in God, I will find joy. We can live with joyful confidence when we know that we are living with righteousness. You can live with joyful confidence when you know you're living with righteousness. Our family was, was out of town last Sunday because our son Clayton um, finished up at James River Leadership College. It's a, a, a college that's attached to a church in Ozark, Missouri. James River Church, just a great church, and uh, we went out for his graduation and then and just, uh, it was really cool and spent some time out there. And so we went to church at James River on Sunday, just a, a great church uh, in Ozark, Missouri. And then we, after church, we just hopped in the cars and we headed back. We had Clayton's car, we had our van, and we were, we were on our way back. And we, uh, we got through um, St. Louis, which is about, you know, it's about an 11-hour trip if, you, if you're not going to get arrested on the way. It's about an 11-hour trip if you're, if you're going to do that. We're about two hours into the trip, and Rhonda is driving um, the, the car that Clayton's had, and we knew that the, what, this summer we were going to put new tires on the car. We're like, hey, we're going to put new tires on it, but it should be good through the, through the school year. We'll do it this summer before we get into the winter. We'll, we'll do this. And, and she calls me up, and she says, look, the car's not driving well. I think we need to make sure that right away this week we get it in there, which I was like, okay, cool, because I'm not stopping today. We're going we're gonna to move. We're going to push through. We're going we're gonna to get there because I just, I just want to get home. We're about four hours into this 11-hour trip. We, praise God, we just gotten through like the crazy traffic in St. Louis. We're about 20 minutes outside of St. Louis. And I look in the rearview mirror, and Rhonda and Clayton are in the other car, and I see them pull over. And I'm like, well, that's not good. See ya. No, 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 I pulled over. <laughs> so then I pulled over. I pulled over, and I called them up. And I'm like, what's the matter? And they're like, well, this tire, is something going on. We got out, and the tire was just toast. So we called, you know, and got a tow and all this kind of thing. I'll just say this real quick. I am so thankful for a family who does not let their joy be dependent on their circumstances. We had a blast on the side of the road. If you want to have a good time, there's an, there's an overpass on I-70 just out. So you check it out. It's a lot of fun. And we stayed there for about an hour and uh, found a place on Mother's Day that was still open that was able to give us some new tires. And so we just decided, look, it's too late now. We're just going to get a hotel. And we stayed there. It cost me an awful lot of money. <laughs> for some really special family time. Cost me an awful lot of money. (laughs) The thing was, we kind of knew that we were, uh, I don't know, pushing it a little bit. We had some warning signs. But I just wanted to do what I wanted to do, so we kept pushing through. I'm so thankful for God's protection. But I can tell you this, that once we had all new tires on that bad boy, it drove a whole lot better. And when I was sitting in the driver's seat, I drove with a whole lot more confidence. That's what righteousness does for you. See, when you live a life of righteousness, I mean, Proverbs says this over and over again. When you are righteous, you walk securely. You stand securely. You know what comes with that? Joy. Because I don't have to worry about whether I can do it or not. I don't have to worry about whether I'm going to get caught or not. When I live a life of righteousness, it gives me confidence that I can move forward in life, and I don't have to worry about a blowout here or an accident there. I can say, God, I trust you because I'm living a life of righteousness, and with that comes joy. Does that make sense? That's why we find joy when we choose righteousness. Watch this, Proverbs 11.10. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. 
Righteousness not only affects you and gives you joy, it affects everybody around you. Proverbs 21, 15, when justice is done, it brings joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. Understand this, there is joy that comes when we choose to live in righteousness. And whether you realize it at the time or not, when you walk away from that righteousness, you set yourself up for destruction. When you live based on your own standards instead of God's standards, you eventually find yourself in a place that brings a price you do not want to pay. Mother's Day 2016, Chad Gilligan, Glen Carbon, Illinois, a price I did not want to pay. But I learned a good lesson. Look, if you're gonna drive your life, drive it with righteousness. Here's why, Proverbs 29.6, watch what this says, this is huge. It's huge for your life, and I want to infer today that it's huge for our nation. Evildoers are snared by their own sin. What's a snare? It's a trap, right? Evildoers are trapped. They're caught. They're snared by their own sin. But the righteous shout for joy and are glad. You see what that verse implies? That choosing righteousness allows us to live with liberty. You wanna live a life of freedom? You wanna live a life of confidence? You wanna have joy? Do you know where it starts? It starts with righteousness. How's this true? This is true of the person who thinks that a substance is giving them pleasure, but eventually they find themselves an addict. It's true of the person who's careless with their finances, and then they find themselves in a place of financial stress. It's true of the person who cheats on a test, or cheats on their taxes, or cheats on their spouse. And they live in fear because eventually they're afraid they're gonna get found out. You know why? Because dishonesty steals our joy. Righteousness seals our joy. It's true of the person who leads a life based on power and control only to find out that their leadership won't last because they don't have integrity. It's true of the person who has a bad attitude and sees life through a lens of miserableness. It's true of the person who's careless with their friendships and doesn't have that many friends. It's true of the person, we heard this last week, right, from Pastor Bill? It's true of the person who does not fear God and then finds themselves without his wisdom and his power and his blessing. Look, when you will lose joy as you dismiss righteousness from your life. And I'm concerned that our nation has lost a fear of the Lord. Look, I could say a lot of things here um, and and we're in a pretty highly contentious election year, praise God, right? (laughs) And I'm sure there'll be a whole lot more we can say. In fact, in the month of October, we're gonna, we're gonna focus on, because, because this, this whole thing gets so weird for us, and even weird as we lead the church, guess what we're gonna focus on in the month of October? We're gonna focus on prayer. Because the best thing that we can do is to pray, amen? So we're gonna do that. And there's a lot that we could say, but what's happened in this last week is, is of great concern. For some time now, we've been playing God with things that only God should determine with questions of morality, sexuality, marriage, and gender. And when we make it so easy to determine a person's gender by simply how they feel about themselves that day, we've exalted ourselves above the role of God, we've ignored the one who is truly God, and according to Proverbs, we've set a course for our nation to be ensnared by our own sin. Now look, I understand that, that so much of what's in the headlines right now is a very complicated issue. And it's easy for a guy on a platform on a Sunday to just kind of fire shots at things. And there are a lot of people in the world who have been confused and troubled by things that culture has given to us as options. 
Here's some things that I think are critical for us to remember from scripture. God is the creator, amen? Amen. It tells us in scripture that he made us male and female, that he made us beautiful in his image, and that although we live in a sinful world where sometimes we're troubled and confused and wounded, God's love is unending and unconditional for us just the way we are, and if we live in obedience to his word, if we will live in, here's a word, righteousness, then he will bless us, then he will give us stability, and we will find joy. Our confidence, though, has to be in him, so that's why the decision by our government this week to send letters to every school in the nation directing every public school to allow bathroom access on the basis of self-identity, not biological sex, is a very big, scary deal to me. And folks, I, I don't do this often, but I think this is one we can't ignore. Look, if you're a student, if you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, if you're a customer, if you're a voter, then at some point I think we're obligated to respond in some way. There's all kinds of things you can do from contacting a senator to making a stink. But I would say that you pray about it and you say, God, what would you have for me to do? Because we're allowing a fraction of a population and a godless agenda to dictate the practice of what is right and wrong while it puts a majority of people in a place that potentially awkward, ungodly, and dangerous. And it's time, and I feel this pretty strongly, it, it's time for some of you to move out of a place of observation and commentary, right? We watch the news and we talk about it. For some of us, it's time for you to step out of a place of observation and commentary to a place of action and truth. There's an article about this by a guy named Russell Moore. Um, he's the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. Can I read you just a segment of it? I think there's a part here that, that is, is very challenging. The truth is that the male-female sex difference is objectively real. Biological science is built off of this reality. We must tell the truth about this. He goes on to say this. Listen carefully to this. John the Baptist, do you remember John the Baptist from Scripture? John the Baptist lost his head for saying that Herod could not have his brother's wife. Do you remember that story? Where where Herod gets upset because John says, look, you, you can't take your brother's wife. So John the Baptist lost his head for saying that Herod could not have his brother's wife. Some now will be targeted as culturally unacceptable because they tell Herod he can't be his brother's wife. That will take courage and compassion and above all, it will take Christ. But here's the reality, friends. Where there is no light, all you see is darkness guess what you are? You are the light of the world. And Proverbs just told us if we want to have joy, then we better embrace righteousness. Otherwise, we get ensnared in our own sins. Proverbs 15, 21. Folly brings joy to the one who has no sense, but whoever has understanding keeps a straight course. Folly brings joy to one who has no sense, but whoever has understanding keeps a straight course. You know what it's saying there? Choosing righteousness leads to stability in life. You want a life that's stable? You want a foundation you can build on? Then you've got to choose righteousness, not just a course that's fun in the moment, not just one that's popular, not one that just feels right or loving or understanding, because truth is more important than feelings. 
Stability comes not from folly, even though folly might give you momentary joy. And you know what I want for you? I want joy for you. I want to sneak up on you and catch you whistling. Proverbs 29.6, I love this. In the English Standard Version says this, an evil man is ensnared in his transgression, but a righteous man sings and rejoices. I had a boss that I worked for when I was in college, and whenever he would, would, would like leave, go out for a meeting or something, when he would come back in, you knew he was back because you could hear him from the moment he got out of his car until he stepped into the building and got to his desk. He would whistle. He was just a whistler. So if you hadn't been working, that was a great warning, right? <laughs> Whistler's coming. But there was this joy that he had cultivated in his life. He was just a whistler. A righteous man sings and rejoices. He has confidence, this verse says, that's different from the man who does not choose righteousness. So you know what I want for us to be? I want for us to be a church full of people who whistle and sing. Some of you shouldn't sing, so please just whistle, okay? (laughs) But in a world that is so uptight, shouldn't the children of God be the happiest people, the most joy-filled people, amen? So choose righteousness, If you want to find joy. Last thing, number three. Joy comes from choosing peace. Joy comes from choosing cheer. Joy comes from choosing righteousness. And then Proverbs tells us that joy comes from choosing peace. For many of us, we allow circumstances, we allow our challenges to rob peace from us in our lives. Why does that happen? I think it often happens because of two things. It either happens because of people or it happens because of problems. That's where we lose peace. We lose peace in a relationship or we lose peace in our circumstances. People or problems. And Proverbs speaks to this. Watch this. Proverbs 12, 20. Deceit is in the hearts of those who plot evil, but those who promote peace have joy. Those who promote peace, those who choose peace, have joy. Choosing peace with others brings joy to our lives. You want to find joy in your life, then one of the best things that you can do is choose to promote peace with others instead of stirring up conflict. I mean, we spent time here a couple weeks ago when we were talking about friendship, but choosing peace with others brings joy to our lives. How so? Look at this, Proverbs 17, 5. Whoever mocks the poor shows contempt for their maker. Whoever gloats over disaster will not go unpunished. Look at that last line there. Whoever gloats over disaster. Now, if I ask you to raise your hand, have you ever gloated over disaster? Most of you would say, never. I am not that kind of person. But the truth is, if we really talked about it, have you ever found pleasure in the fact that somebody else had troubles? Odds are, you'd, you'd probably have to admit, yeah, I've done that. We've all been there, that moment where you go, good, they deserved it. They had it coming. I knew it would happen to them. Or hear this with a very snarky tone, couldn't have happened to a better person. (laughs) We feel that way sometimes. And what does Proverbs say? That when you gloat over disaster, you get it too. We find joy when we think thoughts of peace. We find joy when we think thoughts of peace. When we say, God, instead of my mind going to some of those places, where I gloat over disaster, where, where, I, where I think negatively of other people, I find joy when I think thoughts of peace. He also says this, Proverbs 15, 23. A person finds joy in giving an apt reply and how good is a timely word. 
Not only is it when we think thoughts of peace, but we find joy when we speak words of peace. We find joy when we speak words of peace. There's something powerful about saying the right words to people and knowing the right time to speak those right words. And it's also very powerful to know the right times when not to speak any words. Isn't that true? Husbands, do not nudge your wives. That is not peaceful. (laughs) But there are times when it's better to just not say anything. Sometimes there's a lack of peace that comes to us. And look, as much as we talk about joy, there will be circumstances that come in our lives that will cause us to find ourselves in a place where that joy will be gone. I wanna talk about this just from the sense of reality. It's easy for me to say, hey, just put a smile on. And if you live right, everything will be all right. But the truth is, that's not the truth, right? Hard times come, even in the midst of times when we should be experiencing joy. There was a story in the news just this last week, it just happened this week, Tuesday, in the the country of Wales, where this dude took two of his daughters, or teenagers, to a circus for the very first time. He'd never been to the circus before. He got there, and he got called out of a crowd to come and help a clown, who are scary just to begin with, right? But they're supposed to bring joy. Freaky joy. So this clown pulls this guy out of the audience and says, look, I'm gonna use you to do this trick. And if you, if you, if you Google this, you, you can find this, this, this video. And this clown that gets the whole crowd, they're just clapping, they're ready, they got fun music playing. And he sets this guy up, and I don't know what he's trying to do. If you watch the video, he's trying to do a flip or trying to do something. But as they try to do this with this guy, instead the whole thing goes wrong. The guy falls backwards and the clown lands on his head. At which point, the guy is just laying there limp, and the clown tries to play it up, ha, 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 goes over to the guy, tries to pick the guy up, and the guy's right back on the floor. To which then all these other clowns come running out, and they try to help him, and they pick this guy up, and if, you know, if he had had an injury or something, they like fold him up like a piece of paper and try to move him. It's, it's, it's kind of funny to watch now that you know the guy's, the guy's okay. I bet he doesn't go back to the circus for a long time in a place where you think you're gonna find joy, and instead what you find is pain? Sounds like life some days, right? This is the reality of our existence in a sinful world. So what do we do in that? Well, I'm gonna challenge you that even in those moments, you have to choose peace. Look at this, Proverbs 14.30. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Let me give you a a principle, and then I want to park here for just a few moments. Joy comes when we are at peace with ourselves. Joy comes when we are at peace with ourselves. Here's what I mean. Think about that verse again. He says, a heart at peace gives life to the body, right? Amen, will you take that? I'll take that. The contrast that he gives though, the antithesis that he gives there here is this though, but envy rots the bones. Rotting the bones takes the life. Literally, I'd say sucks the life right out. Those dry bones that we talked about earlier from a crushed spirit, he says envy causes that. Why is that of all things? Because envy has this unique thing in our lives. 
Envy says, I want something that you have, which then if you dig down even deeper, means that I'm not satisfied with what I have, which then if you dig down even deeper, really says that I'm not happy with where I am. In fact, I probably feel that something has been done to me that is unjust or not right, that I've been mistreated, and what he's saying here is when we get to that place, when we're so busy looking at what's been done wrong to us or what we don't have, it literally sucks the life out of us instead of choosing peace which would give life to our body. At the very root of the idea of envy is that we are so self-focused. We get to a place that draws the life right out of us. It robs us of peace and joy. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because you live your life through this lens of what's not gone right for me or what's been done to me or what would have happened if the coach had just put me in. Look, I'm gonna meddle for, for just a minute. And I know I'm not calling everyone out. In fact, I don't, I don't mean to call anyone out unless the Holy Spirit's doing it. But I think as I was getting ready for this sermon, and just things you see on social media or, or things you hear in the news or things that people say to me, and sometimes I just think impressed by the Holy Spirit, I, I wanna talk about a word that I think um, we come back to sometimes. The reason some of us struggle to find joy is because we can't find joy because we're too busy playing the victim. Now look, some of us, and I don't wanna misuse that word because it's a powerful word, that word victim. And in some ways, many of us have been victims. You've been a victim of abuse. There's been people who have betrayed you, who have done you wrong, who have caused you pain. And I don't want for one minute to have these comments minimize that because some of you are in a very real place with a very real struggle. I don't want to minimize that word. So let me say it this way. Some of us are good at playing the victim. We like using that victim card. And when you have a challenge or when you have a trouble, you want to make sure everybody else knows about it. You advertise it, you use it as an excuse, you let it keep you from being joyful, from being productive, and you know you're a victim if the situation is constantly back about you. Is, is anybody still with me? Okay, because you quit smiling about 10 minutes ago, and uh, I thought I'd check. Here's what I'm calling. I'm calling you to stop playing the victim. If that's you, if, if you're used to playing that card, you need to be honest with yourself in the situation. You need to, be, you need to start being accountable, you need to stop taking a look at other people and start looking at what you really need to be dealing with, which is most likely yourself. And here's why this is such a big idea. Not just because you annoy me. I don't mean that. Here's why this is such a big idea. Because we're all prone to play the victim at some point, right? We all have those times when we want to cast the responsibility off of ourselves and onto somebody else. And here's the deal. When you do that, when you play that victim card, you keep yourself from playing the part in God's plan that he has for you. And you rob yourself of joy. And for some of you, it's making you miserable. How do I know this? Biblical example. Do you remember the story of the prophet Jonah? And God called Jonah to go and do something for him. And you read through those first three chapters of the book of Jonah, and it's interesting. God, I don't want to go, so I'm going to run. And what's he do? Well, he finds himself in a nasty situation. Gets right back where God wanted him. And God does this amazing thing. And then he's not happy with that either. Watch his response. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. But to Jonah, this is after God's grace has come to Nineveh. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. 
And he prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, while I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sin and calamity. You can just sense the worship in that, can't you? <clears throat> now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Who wants to spend Christmas with Jonah? Isn't that awesome? Verse four, but the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Chad Gilligan version, Jonah, quit playing the victim. You see what he did there? Very first thing, he let his perception control his emotion. He didn't like what God did, so he got angry. He had a little fit, played the victim there. His view is the most important. And he couldn't bring his life to a place where he trusted God enough to see that what God wanted to do was possibly maybe different than what he wanted God to do. He let it control his emotion. Then you see what he did next? Then he's all worried about the people because they had what he felt they shouldn't have. You ever been in that place? God, it's not fair that he that or she that. Oh, we get all worked up over this. And from that, it led him to a point where he said this. This is so dangerous, folks. Watch your heart if you get to this point. God, that's not fair. God, you shouldn't have done that. Gee, one of the things that I, I see over and over again that keeps people from receiving God's blessing and even sometimes his salvation is that we put ourselves in a place where we're smarter than the one who created us. And it just puts us in a place we can't even think we're gonna have joy. So what does Jonah do last? He says, God, just, just kill me now. He just gets so despondent in himself. And God asks the right question. Jonah, why are you playing the victim? Is it right for you to be angry? Do you not realize who I am? Look, friends, when you play the victim, you are robbing yourself of joy. I'm not saying this for any other reason but that I felt like the Holy Spirit put it in my heart and because I want the best for you. When you play the victim, you're just robbing yourself of joy. When if you would just be at peace with who God is and, and what he wants to do in your life. We, we were driving the other day. This is, this is way too, I shouldn't confess this actually. We were driving the other day. I'm sitting here, my wife's sitting here. Our daughter Carissa, who's a senior in high school, is sitting behind us. And, and on the radio, and I'm just, forgive me if you, if you work in the media. Um, on the radio, we're listening to the radio, and all of a sudden the people came on and started talking. And I'm sure they had valuable things to say, but you ever just have those moments where you don't want to hear anyone talk? Just play more music and shut up in the name of the Lord, right? You have that, kind of have that moment, right? It's just, I was just in that, you ever been in that place? Bunch of victims. So I'm, I'm driving, and they start talking. And I just said to Rhonda, I just get so tired of hearing them talk. I just want to hear music. I just, you know, I just, I was in that mood, right? And Rhonda's like, yeah, I know. I'm a bad influence on her, right? And so we're having this moment. All of a sudden, from the back of the van, my 17-year-old daughter with such wisdom says this so sweetly. She says, can you guys stop complaining and change the station? That's all I'm saying for some of you. Just change the station. Because when you play that victim card, you are robbing yourself of joy. But it's not always that easy. One last proverb, let's look. 
Proverbs 14, 13. Even in laughter, the heart may ache, and rejoicing may end in grief. What? Even in laughter, there may be some pain? Even if I choose joy, there may be some hard times? Here's the truth, friends. Some days, the clown's gonna land on your head. Isn't that true? (laughs) It's just reality. What do you do in that moment? Look, we will all experience times of pain and grief in life. And I was burdened even in putting this whole message together because there's some of you that the last thing I want you to hear me say is just, can you just smile? Because I know that your pain goes so much deeper than that. Because your loss feels like it's ripped a piece of your heart out. That spouse, that child, that job, that future. And some of you have yourself because of circumstances in life, maybe even choices you've made, I don't know. But you just go, Chad, thanks, nice message, it's good. But I'm not in a place where I can just embrace joy. It goes a whole lot deeper than that because you don't know how I've been mistreated and that's not you playing the victim card, that's just you being honest. Because there was a friend or there was a teacher or there was a spouse or there was a boss or there was a parent that did wound you in a way that affects your ability to find joy. And I'm not gonna minimize this either. For some of you, you'd say, great message, that'll help me until about three this afternoon, and then the depression's gonna hit again. Chad, what do I do then? What do I do when that cloud just hovers over me? I've tried smiling. It's not that easy. For some of you, you you can get stuck in that place, and you say, can I ever get out of this? Look, the reality is, friends, that as much as we can talk about cheer and righteousness and peace, the only place that you will find joy is by putting your hope in the person of Jesus Christ. Peter wrote his letter to a group of people who most likely had lost everything because of their faith. Listen carefully to what he says. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, in all this, not in the circumstances you're facing, not in the challenges that are ahead of you, but in what Christ has done for you, in all this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, watch this, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Friends, I know this, that if you need to find joy, ultimately you'll only find it by putting your hope in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? 
And I know it may be hard to find, but I want to pray today that he's going to fill you with his joy. So I've asked Pastor John just to sing that chorus again that we sang earlier that says, I'm no longer a slave to fear. We don't have to be a slave to fear. We can embrace joy. Why? Because I am a child of God. And I know it's repetitious, but I just want to sing that chorus for a few times. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. And I know it's not everybody, but I'm sure it's somebody. And if you would say today, whether it's through cheer, whether it's through righteousness, whether it's through peace, or whether it's just by saying, I need to embrace my hope in Jesus Christ. If you need to say, today, in my circumstance, I need to choose joy. As Pastor John begins to sing, I'm just going to ask you to stand. We're going to pray for one another. As he begins to sing that, if you say, today, I need to choose joy, would you just stand right where you are? Pastor John, would you lead us? say today I need to choose joy in my life embrace that title you're God's child sing that again I'm no longer a slave we stand on today, God, that no matter what our circumstances, our joy is found in who we are in you. So Holy Spirit, I I pray that you just remind us at times this week when it would be good for us to just put our trust in you and put a smile on our face. For others of us, God, we're not walking in confidence right now because we've we've not chosen a path of righteousness. Lord, we We choose to change that today. We choose righteousness. We choose joy. Lord, some of us, God, need peace in our lives. We need to stop putting the blame on everybody and everything else. Say, God, I I entrust myself to you. And Lord, for some of us, even in the midst of the, the season we're in, We need to embrace the hope that we find in Jesus Christ and recognize that in that there's a joy that's unspeakable and filled with your glory. Now, Lord, as we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. Pray that you'd send us out with your special favor and your wonderful peace. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.